0: I just get tired of crashing and burning. You know, I get tired of making mistakes and getting up and moving forward. I get tired of getting so many scars on me. And you know, I got to a point in my life before I met Sky, before I had the baptism, where I'd had enough. I was sick and tired of myself. You know what I mean? Just two people in here, my real self and the ego. I was sick and tired of myself.
1: Welcome to a very special edition of the Stacks Cast with Eric Stackelbeck. Well, he's one of the most recognizable men in the world. He's conquered the ring, he's conquered Hollywood, he's conquered the business world, and yet the one and only Hulk Hogan felt that there was something missing. He needed more, and what he needed was to be baptized. He recently was baptized right before Christmas 2023, in a very public profession of his faith. And his wrestling career may be over, but his life and his mission is just getting started. Hulk, great to have you with us. Welcome to the Stacks Cast. We've got a lot to unpack. This is a real thrill for me. Great to be with you here and in your backyard here. We have that clear ener- water, Florida. We have that
0: energy first. There Absolutely, there.
1: I'm Thank taking you. it from you. Hey, I took Thank it from you. you. This is coming full circle, <laughs> Hulk. I was telling you off camera, June 1986, the Philadelphia spectrum. I'm a young Hulkamaniac. My dad, we had no money, but my dad somehow scrounges up money to buy tickets. And I see you lay out King Kong Bundy live. This is 38 years ago. Now I'm sitting here with you, one of my childhood heroes. It's a blessing and even more so because of what God's doing in your life right now. Take us to right before Christmas, 2023. You're baptized, millions of people around the world see it. What brought you up to that point? What brought you to this moment?
0: Well, it's great to be here with you. And the crew has some crazy energy, too. They're all believers, so it's nice to be in such a powerful environment. My wife's in the back over there. She's uh, my partner in crime. She walks every walk with me in the light. And I got handsome Ron. He's, he's my crew chief. You know, it's kind of like Ronnie always says iron sharpened iron. So I've learned a lot from him about becoming who I was meant to be. So I was saved when I was 14 years old. I accepted Christ as my savior with a youth group where I used to play guitar so all the kids could sing. That's how I was drugged into the youth group. They needed a guitar player. And so I was saved when I was 14, but I basically uh, derailed. You know, I really didn't understand um, the power, you know, and being a believer at that time. So, you know, I went through my teen years and then got in the crazy wrestling business, which derailed me even more. Uh, and, um, finally I just get tired of crashing and burning, you know, I get tired of making mistakes and getting up and moving forward. I get tired of getting so many scars on me and moving forward. And it was a situation where I found myself deep in prayer and I always go, thank you, God, you know, my three favorite words, thank you, God. And I found myself saying it not even realizing it subconsciously and then verbally out loud, cause I was by myself a lot. And I got to the point where, um, I was married a couple times, and they were the wrong partners because they weren't true believers. They weren't dialed in, you know. And so when I met Skye, everything just felt right. The chemistry and everything just felt right. And And she was baptized with you, by the way. Right, right, with our kids, too. And so when I met her, things started to change because I was very aggressive from the wrestling, you know. I got along great, you know, most of the time with people, but then... If things were going my way, I, would, I didn't have patience. And I had like a trigger finger, you know, yeah. I pulled the, the trigger really quick. And so, you know, once I met Skye and she started explaining to me how the Holy Spirit took her over on this bridge that you can see out this window here, the Clearwater Bridge. And the more we talked, the more I started getting, and I, She actually actually calmed me down with this turbulence that I have inside of me and made me feel more peace. You know, and so then after about a, a year and I, I mean, a year of her and I being together, um, it just didn't feel right calling her my girlfriend. You know, somebody my age. You know, oh, this is my girlfriend. It's just yeah. ah, I felt like I was in high school. <laughs> so you know, the the only answer was to, um, you know, have this union. You know,
1: and when you know, you know.
0: Oh yeah, when you know, you know. Yeah. And, and this this was more of a, a spiritual. Uh, connection that I've ever had, you know, with somebody. And so, we just decided to go ahead and get baptized and let the whole world know the truth that we knew. And we got really close with Pastor Aaron at uh, Indian Rocks Christian Church. And so, that's kind of how it went down. We just got to the point we wanted to let everyone know, you know, that, and especially her children, I wanted them to understand that I was just not a boyfriend. I was someone that wanted to be in their life and and be a friend and kind of like a stepfather to them. And, and make things really positive. And we just got baptized and it's, it's been just a whole new deal ever since. It's still, you feel it oh, since brother, that day? It's, it's just amazing. You, know, I you wake, feel the difference. Yeah, I'm much yeah. more at peace with myself. And when things come at me, it's not um, something that's urgent. You know, it, yeah. it doesn't make sense anymore to put that type yeah. of worry and stress. It's just pretty much gone away now.
1: It's pretty amazing because it's hard to believe, number one, you're 70 years old. You don't look it. You look great. Uh, but this may be, after all you've accomplished in your life, this may be the most exciting season of your life. It may just be just beginning right now. That's exciting. And, Hulk, secondly, you know, you got baptized recently, of course, at the age of 70. But throughout your career, I would say you were a witness for Christ in the ring. As a little kid, I remember, and all through my teen years, you would say on camera to millions of people around the world, say your prayers, and eat your, eat your vitamins, yeah. train, say your prayers. You would always thank God. And let me tell you, as a young kid, that had a profound influence on me. If Hulk Hogan is telling me to say my prayers, I'm gonna get on my knees every night at go. bedtime and say my prayers. So I want you to know the difference you made in my life and just kids around the world, even before getting baptized, and this is so exciting, it's yeah. awesome and I can't wait to see what God's gonna do in your life. But the 40 year anniversary of the birth of Hulkamania, (laughs) January 23rd, 1984, you said earlier, iron sharpens iron, amen, but the Iron Sheik was your opponent on that night. You win the belt and Hulkamania begins 40 years ago. Uh, As you look back, kind of looking back, kind of a career retrospective almost, and now you're at this moment Uh, Tell us how that feels 40 years on and you're still going strong and the best days lie ahead.
0: Well, I realized that was just a platform, you know, to get me in the position where I could be used by my Lord and Savior to tell the truth and and spread the word. So, you know, the Hulkamania character of Hulk Hogan um, was impeccable. I mean, the training, prayers, vitamins, believe in yourself, brother, the four commandments um, was something that was real organic coming out of me. And as I said it, the character was impeccable and actually made me, Terry, a better person as, as the years went along. It uh, attracted Make-A-Wish kids. Which at first I didn't understand, what is this role model thing? Why is this happening? Then I was happy it was happening. And then in, in the twilight of my career, a few years back when I got done wrestling, and even today, I thank God it's still happening. You know, and but- And you
1: were the most requested by the way. Make-A-Wish <laughs> in the 1980s especially, you were the most requested from the Make-A-Wish kids, they wanted you.
0: Well, that whole WWE platform is so huge, and there's such a yeah. uh, international swing arm, it's such a huge following. I mean, I could go to the UK and there'd be eight kids waiting for me at the arena, you know, not just one. So, you know, there was Mickey Mouse and Mr. T, and they wanted to see Hulk Hogan more than all the other um, individuals. So, as all that went through, it brought me up to becoming a better person, and you know, now that we're at this point in my life, I realize that it was just a setup for what I need to do now. And um, it's just been such a great transition because God takes people out of your life that aren't supposed to be there. And he brings the right one in, right people in. And so at this point, um, I was always a believer. But I didn't completely surrender. I thought I could drive better than he could. I thought I could make the decisions better than he could. And you know, he takes his hands off the wheel and says, okay, you think you can do do it better? Go ahead and do it. So like I said, I get tired of crashing and burning. And at this point with that 40 year career behind me and that whole platform, I understand now that was just a temporary situation to set me up for this next run. Because in the wrestling business, everything's a run. You know, how long were you a main event guy? Four or five years like some guys? Or how long did your career last? Two or three years? Well, mine lasted almost 40 years and now that that runs over i'm getting ready to start this new run and so now i realize why i'm here and what why all that happened
1: it's incredible you know that resonates with me hulk i was 33 i was kind of late bloomer when i gave my life to the lord as well i'm 48 now so i'm kind of a baby still too Mm -hmm. in this but shortly after you were baptized there was a car accident not far from here right and you kind of played a role in. and diffusing that situation, <laughs> tell us about that.
0: Yeah, it was, uh, we were coming home from dinner, my wife Skye and I were coming home from dinner with a, another couple and right in front of us a car flipped and actually it was an exit ramp that you couldn't turn right or left on, you know, you didn't stop at the bottom of the ramp, it was an exit ramp that you rolled through and kept going at speed. So, you know, apparently it was a 17 year old girl and she was on the inside of the lane not gonna get off but I guess someone else, oh, there's my exit, and cut across all the lanes and clipped her. She hit the middle barricade and flipped in front of us. Wow. And so my first- and you cons- witnessed this? Yeah, we rolled right up wow. on it when the car was still wobbling and the wheels were spinning. And yeah. we were the first ones there, basically. Whew. And my main concern was so many cars were coming off at speed yeah. that we might get rear-ended and then run into her and finish the job that might have already happened in the car. So. Yeah. You know the main thing was to get the traffic stopped and see how many people were in the car and, and get her out of the car so um, i had another buddy with me um jake who was in the armed forces and as i was as sky and i were trying to get the traffic to, to stop and then eventually get out of the way you know to get our car out of the way jake and i went to the car and all the airbags were blown so you couldn't see inside the car and jake didn't have, have a knife so i got my indian rocks Christian ballpoint pen (laughs) and we popped the airbags and um got her unbuckled from hanging upside down in the car and it was like a miracle um she was 17 years old um shaking like a little wet puppy scared to death and by looking at her she had no injuries no broken arms no broken legs no blood no nothing and Sky called 911 and then I asked the little girl she could call her parents because she could she still was in the right mind to do that. And uh, it basically worked out for the best. I mean, you know, she had a guardian angel with her, you know, but the thing that really kind of woke me up is how many people just drive by and don't stop, you know? And I mean, you know, I was worried about the the car going up, you know, because of gasoline and stuff like that. And it was just a very, very fortunate situation that we happened to be there because I don't think if we would have stopped, and it was hard stopping because we were, we were at speed. Yeah. I think if someone would have hit that car and there would have been a stack-up situation, the, yeah. the little girl could have really gotten hurt.
1: Wow, I have a 17-year-old daughter myself, who's driving now, so that, that hits home for sure. And, and God didn't hesitate, Hulk, as we said, already he's putting you in these positions, so it's pretty amazing. The wrestling business and, and coming out now, you know, just publicly professing your faith, It's not maybe a world where Jesus is proclaimed, at least publicly, a lot. Uh, Especially back in 70s, 80s, and 90s was probably a bit more grittier. The lifestyle, partying, drinking drugs on the road and everything, talk about that lifestyle. You were on the road, how many days a year were you on the road at at the peak?
0: Well, I wrestled almost 40 years. Took breaks every once in a while to do movies or, or different things like that along the way. But when I was the world's champion, you know, uh, we were flying 300 days a year yeah. and there was no Rock or no John Cena or Stone Cold Steve Austin yeah. at the time. So I was the guy. So oh, yeah. you know, as I would fly 300 days a year, sometimes I'd wrestle 400 or 425 times a year, twice on Saturday, twice oh. on Sunday. I'd, I'd hit the Philadelphia Spectrum at one o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, yeah. And then that night I'd be in Madison Square Garden then the next day I'd be in the Boston Garden at 1 in the afternoon and then the L.A. Forum that night. So With like Andre
1: the Giant leaning yeah. on you and then Big John Studd yeah. maybe that night.
0: You got it. Big dudes. So, and by the way, the Spectrum was a great building. It was, we loved It was you like there. electricity in that place. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it was, it was a tough life, you know, and uh, it was very taxing on the body, you know, because even though it is predetermined and you know who's going to win or lose, all the stuff that happens in that match... Yeah. or or in the wrestling ring before the the end of the match is very physical. And it's like over the last 12 or 13 years, I've had 25 surgeries, just recently, you know, 10 back surgeries and two knees replacements, two hips, abdominal stuff, two shoulder surgeries (sighs) from all that fake wrestling.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Fake quote, unquote, but I mean, some of the greatest athletes in, predetermined, I would say, maybe the better word, but you're in there as you know better than anybody. I mean, some of the greatest athletes in the world. No doubt.
0: Yeah, well, we've had a lot of and other... physical. Yeah, we've had a lot of other guys, you know, approach the business. You know, basketball players like Carl Malone and mm-hmm. Rodman and different football players like Mongo McMichaels yep. and Bill Fralick and Kevin Green. Yep. And a wow. lot of UFC guys come in, and, yeah. you know, they, they, some, most of them, a lot of them will come in, and, and a couple I don't want to say a lot of them, but yeah. there's this many at least that have come in, and after one or two days, you go, oh, my gosh. We didn't realize that we had to work hurt every day. You know, it's not like just one fight or two fights a year.
1: And you're always flying, you're always traveling. Yeah, you have so, time to
0: recuperate. So there are a lot of great athletes in there, and the yeah. conditioning is mm-hmm. just unbelievable. But uh, it's a special breed. You know, it's a special breed that uh, basically puts everything in the number two position, puts their job and business first. It's, it's tough on families and yeah. tough on lives. And it's, uh, it's a tough – it's not a – Easy decision to make to go down that road. Yeah. You know, I think of Ted DiBiase,
1: the Million Dollar Man, Shawn Michaels, Sting, Lex Luger, Nikita Koloff, some of your, you know, ex colleagues in the game uh, have also come to the Lord, come to Jesus. Right. Um, that's pretty exciting, right? Did you talk to any of these guys about it at all? Are you in touch with any of those guys still about your journeys of faith?
0: Yeah, I talked to Ted, <laughs> you know, um, every so often. And I just saw him at the 30th anniversary of Monday Night Raw. Yeah. And um, if you'd have asked me 25 years ago if Ted would have found the Lord, I would have said, no way. Yeah. You know, because the Million Dollar Man was out on a roll, you know, um, with the character and with his lifestyle and everything. And to see him come to the Lord and to change his life and help so many people, it was amazing to see, yeah. you know. And, uh, Do you
1: think guys just kind of, it's such a crazy business as you just laid out. Do you think guys just eventually kind of come to the end of themselves and say, is this all there is? Did they, did they get to that point maybe? They've had fame and fortune and parting and, and done the whole thing. Do they get to a point where they say, man, God, I need you. There, there's a void in my
0: life. There are certain guys that get to that point and rationalize things and see things that way. Um, a lot of other guys, when the, the spotlight goes away and the money goes away and all of a sudden there's this crazy energy that happens to them at nine, 10, 11 o'clock at night in front of 20,000 people and they'll find themselves sitting at home in front of the TV and they, they miss all that stuff, they'll self-destruct. Yeah. Well, and a lot of guys have passed away simply because they can't make that transition from the character and the job back to real life. And that that's a real thing.
1: I mean, legends, I mean, Randy Savage, Roddy Piper, the list goes on and all the guys I idolized growing up, a lot of guys have passed on, a lot of your friends have passed on.
0: Right, yeah, if you look at all the other sports and just guessing maybe over a 10-year period, you'll have a certain number of basketball players and a few baseball players and a handful of football players that have passed away. But then when you look at wrestling, there's like 250, 300 guys. So coming off that run, coming off that energy and that level that you function on and and coming back down, like it's not like, you know, you play football once a week. It's every single night, you're getting that rush from 20, 30,000 people. It's hard to come off that lightning bolt and, and be normal. So the transition is tough for a lot of guys.
1: Yeah. No, it makes sense. I mean, how do you go from that? And then you're coming home off the road for a few days, and all of a sudden you have to be a family man. You're changing diapers. You're right, doing the dishes, right. taking the trash out. That's got to be a tough transition. And especially when you're kind of out of the game and, and you're not active you know, wrestling every night like you were. Like you said earlier, that, that restlessness you felt at night. And thank God you have Sky now, which is awesome. It's right, yeah. uh, brought you that peace. Pretty amazing.
0: Yeah well it, it took a while for me to explain myself you know because I kept it, it could be a perfectly normal night we'd be sitting there watching tv at eight o'clock and all of a sudden I felt this turbulence yeah. roll up inside of me and nothing was wrong you know she didn't say anything wrong I didn't say anything wrong we could just be watching tv and all of a sudden I'd feel a, oh, this thing like stir up like like oh my gosh you know I need to be going in the ring in two right. three hours and <laughs> You know, I can go from talking to you and yeah. having a casual conversation to when the music hits and I go out that door. A minute later, somebody's kicking me in the head, and so that whole that whole situation is hard to lose after 40 years. You know, yeah. And and just to sit at home. So Sky helped me with that turbulence. She helped me make that transition, and I verbally would say it to her. It's happening to me. Yeah. You know, she, and wow. she would say, well, "What can I do to help you?" So it was, was kind of like. Having someone to talk to and express it to helped a lot. You were kind of hulking up. I was going to get ready to hulk up, and she body slammed me. (laughs) That
1: was it. How (laughs) awesome is that, though, that that God has put sky in your life? You've got got sky, you got the Holy Spirit, and now you've got peace. And the best days are ahead. So awesome, considering all that you've accomplished. Hey, let's take it back to this area. Hold on. Can I show her off, please? Of
0: course. I want to show my (laughs) wife off of course okay here we go
1: and sky thank you for letting us have him for the day
0: this is this yeah. is my running mate here
1: yeah <laughs> Good
0: so to she Good to have had a crazy experience like I said right out that window on the, the bridge yeah. when she was running and searching for answers the Holy Spirit I uh, would say it dropped her to her knees it was yeah. so powerful so it's just like can you tell us about that scott please please
2: um yes well you know i I had been at a service with a friend and the pastor at that time you know asked if anyone you know was ready to have jesus in their life and i felt that tug but then just part of me just kind of pulled back a little bit and um i think i wasn't quite ready to make it public because i hadn't fully made it private and um It was a day later and I was running on the bridge as I I did. And I just asked, you know, if the Holy Spirit is there and if Jesus is there, I would really like to make you part of my life. I'd really like to know you. And it was at that exact moment that I was overcome by this most beautiful, loving and forgiving energy. And tears came my eyes and i dropped to my knees right on the bridge and Mm -hmm. it was as you've heard other people say it was like pure forgiveness but i wasn't asking for forgiveness for anything but it was just that absolutely gentle loving lifting hand and um i walked home and then sat on my porch just in you know absolute awe of what had happened and i think once you know the holy spirit and you know Jesus. You can then know yourself, and then life is completely different at that wow. point.
1: Now, you had this incredible experience with the Lord. Do you go home right away? You tell, you would call him Terry. We call him Hulk. You know him as Terry, of course, his real name. Do you go right home? Do you share it with I, him? I
2: hadn't met Terry yet. This was,
1: before. bingo. Wow.
0: <laughs> this
2: was before I met Amazing. Terry. And um, I would say, I don't know, it was a few months later. Um, I'd had some circumstances, and I was in prayer and yeah. I prayed over and over for faith and faithfulness when it came to a partner, over and over and over, and I actually just start, wrote it down on a piece of paper, faith and faithfulness, faith and faithfulness, yeah. and I met him later that night.
0: <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> I heard the calling. This is
1: <laughs> guys, this is incredible. Mm-hmm. Encouraging, inspiring, I mean, you've been encouraging, inspiring me for years, Hulk, going back 40 years, but I think a whole new generation of people saw you guys getting baptized in your family and you've encouraged and inspired a whole new generation of people. And I, I have to tell you, there's a lot of people out there, just as when I was a little kid saying, if Hulk says, say your prayers, I'm going to say my prayers. Right, right. And you said you had that hesitation sky a little bit before, mm-hmm. you know, saying, okay, Jesus, there's a lot of people now who are saying, who are watching right now around the world saying, if Hulk Hogan can give his life to the Lord and get baptized, then I can do it. You've encouraged and inspired millions of people around the world by doing this for sure. And with all you've accomplished, I think this is your greatest accomplishment, what you're doing for God now. And that that's a big
0: statement considering yeah. all that you've accomplished. Well, you know, to actually put it in perspective, I mean, the things that I've done, you know, the WrestleMania stuff and, and the TV stuff and being the first wrestler on the cover of Sports Illustrated and Slamming Andre the Giant, having the indoor attendance record. All that stuff was huge moments in my career, but i have never gotten the type of feedback or never gotten the type of response that I got from the baptism. It was like, it it overwhelmed how many people responded to that and how many people in this country and worldwide are moving in that direction. I mean, there's a strong push in that direction. You know, because to, we live in dark times. To come back times. to the Lord. Yeah, brother. It's perilous
1: and... times. Yeah.
0: We need God. So yeah. I think it spoke to a lot of people's hearts when you were baptized so publicly. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's a situation that, you know, not just knowing of him, but once you know him and once you surrender, you know, he said he'll come back and heal our people and heal, heal the yeah. land. So I feel that that whole push is, is, is happening. Yeah. you know there's there's a lot of stuff going on there's a huge spiritual movement right now some revival in this land it, it, it's, there sure is so um, I mean I've never got a response from anything and, and out of all the stuff I did that I thought was big stuff you know in the business world or yeah. in the wrestling world pales in comparison to buy to the energy and to buy the response yeah after the baptism it was it was amazing you struck a chord and you know, actually, even before the baptism,
1: I saw you on Joe Rogan's podcast, which is, you know, a secular podcast. Yeah. You're wearing a shirt or something like that, John 3.16. Yeah. I said, yeah. wow, that's pretty cool. And to go, look, Joe Rogan, uh, the top rated podcast in the world, he's a secular guy, but he's, a, yeah. he's an intellectually curious guy and spiritually curious it seems. But even that I thought was bold. To wear a John 3.16 shirt, on Joe Rogan show, I thought it was an act of boldness, and that was before the baptism. So clearly, the gears were turning, and God was working. And we'll talk more about the baptism at church with your pastor shortly, yes, yes. which is going to be very cool. But how do you guys get to the point, Sky and Hulk, where you say, "Okay, let's do this thing. Let's get baptized. Let's make it public. And hey, everyone had cameras on. It's Hulk Hogan, of course. Cameras are going to follow you around." <laughs> Let's do this thing. No, no more, as you said, you know, this is the greatest day of my life. No, basically nothing hold us, holding us back. We're going to do it.
2: Well, I would say I, I like that we got married in, in a church and made a promise, you know, yeah. un, under Jesus that we were getting married. You know, it's a completely different marriage. I've been married before and he's been married before. And it just, the union is stronger. And we got baptized with kind of the same idea that we wanted to, do this in union and yeah. we had our kids there as well so it just, i just think that was just more what it yeah. was
1: it's a marriage built on the rock uh built on the on the lord built on jesus you know and hope as you said this is the time this is the right partner you know so and it's it's founded on jesus which is awesome um in looking back look when you were 14 you gave your life to the lord you accepted jesus but like you said you're young you don't really know right. how to how to kind of walk the walk uh, through the years, you know, your life is very public. You're a very public figure. I said in the lead and one of the most recognizable men in the world, mm-hmm. even my daughters, 17 and 13, I said, hey, I'm, they know John Cena, The yeah. Rock. Yeah, I'm interviewing Hulk Hogan. They said, wow, I think I know who he is. I showed them your picture. We, they said, we know who he is right away, instant <laughs> recognition. But I say all that to say, you know, you're living your life on the public stage. You know, I mean, even your failures are, are magnified because there's cameras everywhere. You're Hulk Hogan. Um, do you feel that? I don't want to say pressure, but do you feel that uh, responsibility to be that ambassador for Christ even more now?
0: This is what I should be doing. Um, but, you know, to digress, everybody has like a Hulk Hogan story. Oh, yeah. And I tried to explain that to sky. Well, I was out with your husband on New Year's Eve. We stayed out till four or five o'clock in the morning. Well, bring that person here and say that to my face because I wasn't there. Right. Whether, you know, my dad played basketball with you for 10 years. I've never played basketball in my life. You, you know, should have. but you know, No, but, I, I, but, you know, I tell the, the young man, we'll tell your dad I said hello. And, yeah. you know, but, but it's just a situation that um, even if I'm not in front of the cameras, just like the other day when we talked about the car wreck. Yeah. It was probably 10 o'clock at night or whatever. We were coming back from Tampa. By the time I got home, which was 20 minutes later, the Tokyo Sports Press had already reached out to me. Um, TMZ was hitting my phone up and that's how fast it happens and there were no cameras there I I thought there weren't any cameras there a lot of people rode by and probably took pictures but that's how fast it happens I mean we're in front of the cameras now but even when there's not cameras for some reason it's like telephone telegraph telewrestler it's instantly so Um, I've always been aware of it sometimes I forget but now I'm really really aware of why I'm here and what I'm meant to do. And um, it's, it's clear as day. There's no, there's no guesswork now.
1: No doubt. And by the way, you mentioned you know, the struggles we've had in this nation, really around the world. Mm-hmm. But I just want to mention, you've always been very public in your love of this country. I mean, Sky, thank you. We'll see you shortly. No. Don't go too far. Uh, but hey, you've been always so public in your profession of love for this country, for the United States of America. As far back as I can remember, you were waving an American flag yeah. in the ring. You love this nation, and you want to see revival in this nation. You want to see God transform this nation. Talk about why this has been. This nation, the United States of America, has been such a great place for you, the opportunities you've had here, and why this is a nation worth saving.
0: Well, you know, it's the land of the free and the home of the brave, and I just really feel that there have been so many things that have changed over the years. Number one, pulling God out of the equation. You know, yeah. there are so many civilizations that have fallen and had a demise simply because of, of, of several things, you know. Um, Power ridden people, um, the, the sexuality problems within, within that society. Um, and usually when, when the sexuality stuff gets confusing, it's towards the demise of that um, society. But I I know one thing that taking God out of the equation is something that we will not survive without, you know. So I really feel, you know, everything from the the, the men that wrote the constitution to the Lord's prayer in school, to, you know, being, have the the religious freedom to be able to worship in in the the church of your choice, all that stuff that they were trying to take away from us, it needs to be instilled back in in this country. And, we're the world's leader. I mean everybody looks up to us as as an example and I think it's time that we understand who we are and take our position back in this world and we start by putting God first and that's what this country needs. Take us back to growing up in this area, the
1: Tampa Clearwater area, Uh, your family, your early journey, how you got into the game. You're a big Dusty Rhodes fan, I know, but you were a rocker. You were a
0: musician. That yeah. was your, maybe your
1: first love. Tell us about your childhood, your upbringing a little bit.
0: Well, I grew up right across the bridge in South Tampa. And I started out going to Ballast Point Elementary School. And across the street was Ballast Point Baptist Church. So all the kids you know, in elementary school would go there. And we lived a little bit of a distance from the church. And so I had my parents take me there one Sunday. And um, after that... You know, they didn't go back to the church, but I rode my bike there every Sunday, you know. So that's where I kind of got in tune with with the Baptist Church. But growing up around the area, I went to Monroe Junior High School, then Robinson High School, and all those were south of Gandhi. And when you're south of Gandhi Boulevard, you were called a SOG, south of Gandhi. Okay. And when you're south of Gandhi, You know, your career options were construction, drug dealer or athlete. And those were the choices you had. And um, it was kind of like the white hood back in the day. And I didn't know I didn't know that. I, you know, I had one little Tonka truck I'd play in the sand with. I had one bike that got stolen and never got another one. But I thought I was fine. I thought everything was good, you know. So growing up um, around that area, I got really interested in playing guitar Mm -hmm. because my mom played the piano and she taught some of the kids around the neighborhood how to play so I get interested in music but the whole time I was watching wrestling you know and so you know I got in a little teeny garage band and the first time we had a chance to play for like $200 for a birthday party on oh my gosh I mean I can make money doing this bing light goes (laughs) off in my head Um, so anyway I got better and better playing uh, guitar and went through several bands made um, started making really good money with the music and um, the whole time watching wrestling and so after about 10 years of playing music and going the same circuits and just getting small raises year after year after year um, it was a situation where I told all the guys in the band we were practicing down in Ybor City and there was a, a guy there with a band called Blues Image and they had a song called Ride Captain Ride yeah, and I played the track line for that song, and I don't know if they used the track line or re- replayed with a uh, in a studio with a, a guy that played the exact same part I did. Just a side note that
1: mo- that song is in the movie Anchorman with Will Ferrell.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. saw it. I saw it on a commercial the other day, a car commercial they're using. Yeah, using the song. Um, but anyway, after I went and did that, you know, the guy Mike Panera, the head of the, the band Blues Image, was. Yeah talking about there we went on the road and this and that and the other and there was an opportunity for us to open for them in Blackfoot so I went back and I told my guys there's a chance to go on the road. One guy just got married, another guy's girlfriend was pregnant, they didn't wanna leave so I said, that's it, I'm quitting. I'm gonna be the greatest professional, I don't know why I said it but I said it. I said I'm gonna be the greatest professional wrestler that ever lived and all the guys in the band fell down on the ground laughing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that really made me mad.
1: Now, so, you were at the time, look, six foot seven, close to 300, yeah. 300 pounds. Well, well, no, I was tall. You had the size.
0: I was six foot seven, you know, before all the back surgeries and all the stuff. And I was in really good shape, but I was probably about 250 or 255, maybe 260, I don't know. But um, from that point, you know, growing up here, watching wrestling, being a big Dusty Rhodes fan yeah. and being a big wrestling fan, my dad would take me to the armory. Um, Fort Homer, Hesley Armory, 3 or 4,000 people and it just, it, I got hypnotized when I was in there. And I thought I could do it, but never really thought about it until I verbally said it to the band members because I was kind of wow. mad at them, you know, because they didn't know the You almost spoke it into yeah. existence. Yeah, so one thing led to another. I went down for a tryout. They broke my leg the first day. Wow. Um, and said, don't ever come back. You know, and they, they got between my legs and the guy put his elbow on my shin, grabbed my toe, posted my leg and snapped my <sighs> leg. And so, you know, I went home and about four months later, the mindset was never let anybody hurt me again. Yeah. So I went back and they spent a couple of years training me, teach me how to wrestle the submission stuff. And
1: Many the, people wouldn't have gone back.
0: I mean, well, a lot I, of people I, would have, I, after a broken leg on the first day, yeah, would have called well, it quits. The, the problem was I had ran my mouth so much, and this is a small <laughs> town, and I would ran my mouth so much that I'm going to be a wrestler, and which I never should have done. I could have probably humbly disappeared, but I'd ran my mouth so much, you know, I had to save face yeah. at the time for whatever that mindset was. Right. And I went back, and they spent a couple of years training me how to really take care of myself, and a lot of the UFC stuff, yeah. you know, the submissions and the hooks, the breaking bones and stuff which after a couple years, you know, of doing that and being in, in the dojo with Hiro Matsuda and they told me that this is what wrestling was all about. <laughs> I actually started crying. I thought they were, I thought they were joking because they said, well, Eddie Graham, the promoter's coming down he's going to work out with you. I'm going, oh my gosh, you know, I've been getting beat up by all these preliminary guys. Now Eddie Graham, the promoter is going to come down. He's going to kill me. I'm never going to survive this. He taught me how to hit the ropes and grab a headlock without hurting people, and it just I just broke down. I couldn't believe that they had conned me for so long, <laughs> and I'd believed that this wrestling was real, because you know, the way they were beating it on me yeah. was real. Yeah. So that's like the transition, you know, from growing up here, being a fan, playing music. It all just parlayed one thing after another. And the next thing I knew, I, I was in Madison Square Garden. man. Winning the belt, even you were in the garden even before that. Yeah, yeah. in '78, we we sh- sold out Shea Stadium, wow. you know, with me and Andre, and it was it was huge back then, you know. And that's when I started really realizing, okay, I'm starting to figure this stuff out now. Yeah. As you went along in the
1: business, how did you develop your persona? Uh, you saw what people responded to. How did you kind of because that's obviously a key element in yeah. wrestling, in the wrestling business. You gotta find your, your, your I don't wanna say gimmick, they use they throw that term around, oh, but your, pers- your persona, <laughs> your persona, how did yeah. you become Hulk Hogan?
0: A lot of transitions, you know, started out with a, as a super destroyer with a mask on because they said, oh, you're a big guy, you might be, so, be something someday. We don't wanna beat you every night and have him see your face because ah. your crew will, crew will be ruined before it even starts. So, started out as a super destroyer, quit, quit after all that and went Paying back Paying your dues. Yeah and then I became Terry Boulder for a while, and then um, quit wrestling again, and I opened the gym over in uh, Cocoa Beach, and then when that went out of business, when President Carter shut down the space shuttle, it turned Uh into a ghost town, so I went back to wrestling again, became Terry the Hulk Boulder, and that lasted for a little while, then I went to Atlanta, and the promoter there named me Sterling Golden and that lasted for a short while. I think I was wrestling 13 or 14 times a week, and I think I was making $125 a week. So I quit doing that. And finally, when I came back home, a couple real popular rest- wrestlers here, Jack and Jerry Briscoe, mm-hmm. said, there's this guy Vince McMahon's calling you. I said, I'm, I'm not wrestling anymore, I quit. I don't want anything to do with this. They said, no, New York, the New Jersey, area, which was a territory back then. It wasn't international. They said this territory around New York, Madison Square Garden, is for all the big guys. Yeah. And I've been training with weights. And I was 285, 290 in really good shape. And so I went up there and Vince McMahon Sr. had his glasses halfway down on his nose. and He he, was, he clicks quarters together when he talks to you. You know. <laughs> he goes, well, I've got Pedro Morales for the Puerto Rican Americans and I've got chief j strongbow for the native american americans you know however you say it mm-hmm. and bruno San Martino for the italian americans mm-hmm. and i want you to be instead of terry the hulk boulder i want you to be hulk hogan for the irish americans and here's two bottles of red dye to dye your hair red and I went, oh my god <laughs> i'm going bald-headed as it is if i put this red dye in my hair the party's <laughs> over so i told fred Blassey, who they put him with me that I couldn't do it. I poured it down the toilet and wow. the Holiday Inn on 48th and 8th in New York. And Fred goes, that's it. You're getting fired. You know. So when I went back to see Vince McMahon for TV the next day, my hair wasn't ready. He goes, oh, don't worry about it. You're fine. And he just let it go. Wow. It was Vince Sr., not, not the Vince McMahon. That uh, yes, now. yes. His father. Yeah. So that's kind of like how the whole transition went from growing up here, being a wrestling fan, playing music, and wow. how it morphed into this Hulkamania thing. So it took
1: several years, man, but resi- yeah. your resilience.
0: Yeah, it took about eight years before I got a break. You know, I slept, <sighs> I slept in my van for the first couple of years, you know, and uh, the wild Samoans, we were on Pensacola, they would sleep in their van on the beach, I'd pull up next to them, you know. The wild Samoans, yeah, Afa and, Afa and Sika. Sika. And you know them all, yeah. I'm we, old school, I'm old school. Yeah, they took me under their wing when I first went up there, because I wasn't, I wasn't too dependable when I was younger, so <laughs> they kind of guided weren't. me a little bit.
1: Most of us weren't. A less serious question, kind of serious, but less serious. 1996, you make a big career change in, in your character, in a sense. You look, for years, you're, you're Hulk Hogan, you yeah. say your prayers, take your vitamins. You make this shift and you become what in wrestling would be called a heel, mm-hmm. a, a, a bad guy, people would say. Yeah. That had to affect you. I wondered that at the time even. Wow. You're a hero to millions, obviously. That had to be a tough, and, and look, it's predetermined. You're, yeah. That's not the real Terry Bollea, but that had to be tough. I always thought about that, a tough decision for you to kind of go heel. And it was fun. Your character, Hollywood Hogan, was right. fun. It was great. But was that a bit of an internal struggle, making that shift?
0: It was a tough decision because there had been so much goodwill that was built up right. with, with the Red Yellow character. I made the decision to do it, yeah. and the night I walked out in Daytona and turned into the bad guy and turned on all the Hulkamaniacs, yeah. it was intense that night, but from that point on, they started cheering me even more yes. because I had so much goodwill you know, built into my character and built into the wrestling business that no matter what I did, <laughs> if I punched somebody in, in, in the face or something, they would cheer me. I was like, whoa, wait a minute, this, is, this isn't supposed to be like this. This was yeah. to be good versus bad so the lines got real blurry yeah. and it and it opened the door for me to have a lot of fun with the character yeah and you did
1: and you it know? was a blast to watch yeah, so. and it
0: took off hey that was but no but to answer your question yeah, yeah. i was soul searching and i was walking down that ramp going to the ring before i turned on randy savage and staying and became the bad guy mm-hmm. i was thinking this is either going to be the greatest thing that ever happened my, my career is over after this but it worked out great hey it
1: changed the game you know i think if you were at the forefront kind of spearheaded the two most recent golden eras of professional wrestling in the 1980s of course hulkamania era wrestlemania man the late 90s early 2000 the monday night wars i mean hey the nwo the new world yeah. order which you led with scott hall kevin nash yeah. for life that changed everything once again so it had yeah. to answer your question. I mean, you said, "Wow, this is either going to be a flop or it's going to take off." It took off in a massive way. It was a resurgence.
0: Right. for yeah, you. It, it, it was kind of like kind of like when the red and yellow took off, mm-hmm. and when I wrestled the Iron Sheik forty years ago. It was political turmoil. Iran had four hundred forty-four American hostages. Mm-hmm. The Iron Sheik was the real bodyguard for the Shah of Iran. He was the real guy, and the fans knew that. So there was Tough this. Dude. So this, there was this crazy um, change of energy and this whole Hulkamania thing took off. I felt that same thing when I did the NWO, but what happened was it kept going and kept going. And um, if Vince McMahon and Ted Turner basically didn't shut the NWO down, we, we have a wrestling shop around the corner here and the NWO shirts still sell like crazy I believe 23 it. or 24 years later. But yeah, it, it was a lot of fun and it, it really made wrestling bigger than it had ever been because the the universe had doubled as far as people watching wrestling.
1: Oh yeah. you make this major move, you know obviously getting baptized, public profession of your faith. The world has reached out like you said, it's been viral, you've had an incredible response. How about some of your colleagues in the wrestling game in the wrestling business? Have you heard anything from maybe former colleagues, current wrestlers have they, express support, interest, said, hey, Hulk, what's going on? Anything like that? Just curious.
0: Well, I don't talk to a lot of um, the wrestlers today simply because I, I don't know them. They're so young. I mean, yeah. you know, I have I have friends that are still in production, you know, with, with the WWE because, like I said, I was there since 1977, so I know a lot of the people in-house that are still hanging on. Um, a lot of the the older wrestlers, that I talked with, like, Steve Kern and Brian Blair. Brian Blair was a killer, killer bee. Killer bees. Steve Kern was a character named Skinner. I don't know if I remember. remember, yeah. Yeah, they live in the area. They're uh, devout Christians, and we talk wow. all the time. And, and there's um, many, many former wrestlers in this Clearwater, Tampa, Tampa area. Yeah. The funny thing was Pastor Aaron, before he married Sky and myself, he goes, well, since, you know, you guys have both been married before, there's this type of counseling we'd like to... You know, see if you're open for it. I said, sure, brother. You know, anything that will help make us stronger together and make the bond more powerful. He goes, well, you know, I reached out to another pastor, a friend of mine, for recommendations. And he's got two people, you know, in the church that he would really like to to counsel you. This guy was Brian Blair and Steve Kern, (laughs) my two friends. So it was just really cool. Uh, You know,
1: about coming full
0: circle. That's awesome. As I was the main event guy, they were always on the card with me, yeah, underneath yeah. me, a couple couple matches down. Sure. And now all of a sudden, you know, they're the main event guys <laughs> talking to me. So it was really, uh, really cool. That you know. is awesome. Yeah. Wow! Incredible. Now that you've made this big move, you know, getting baptized.
1: What do you want the effect to be? Um, do you want this to, to go far and wide? And in, in, in making this move, do you, do you want those positive, you know, spiritual ripple effects? Uh, to go around the country and around the world?
0: Well, you know, I was looking for global healing, not global domination or global genocide or global whatever the heck they're trying to do. You know, I was looking Mm -hmm. for global healing, and that would be the end goal for, like we talked about earlier, for God to heal the people and heal the land and basically show what the real truth is um, as far as, you know, spirituality as far as our life and as far as everything that we encounter on a daily basis you know i i just want everyone to calm down yeah. you know and, and let's be you know more personable let's help each other let's have a brotherhood and and i just think the only way to do that is through our lord and savior amen amen hey we're talking
1: about all the amazing things you have going on now and what's to come one more quick quick flashback <laughs> 1982 Rocky three Now for me and for many, that was probably their first exposure to Hulk Hogan. You starred alongside, of course, Sylvester Stallone and Mr. T. And we talk about things coming full circle with some of your former colleagues here at your church counseling you. Hey, your co-stars, Sylvester Stallone and Mr. T, are both professing Christians. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and they still are as we speak. You know, Mr. T is uh, probably one of the most outspoken Christians oh, yeah. I've ever He's met. He's a
1: TBN regular? Yeah. And did you see, I mean, this
0: is 82, did you see a
1: possibility at the time that these, and Stallone, look, famous guy, Mr. T, obviously very famous. Who would have thought, I guess, that you'd all be here now, publicly professing faith in
0: Jesus? Yeah, it's amazing. You know, the, the thing with T is, he is what he is. Mr. T is Mr. T, and you know, he blazes it right out for you. Yeah. And just like stallone um sly's the same guy he was back then he hasn't changed a bit you know he uh, has his faith and he has his will and and he's the same exact guy and none of this got to him none of the success none of the you know stardom none of it changed who he was so it's really cool to see these guys love it
1: look there's there's obviously peaks and valleys in life yeah you had some valleys there of course Yeah. yeah Did you feel God's presence at all? Did he feel distant? Did at times, did you cry out and say, God, what's going on here? What am I gonna break through? Were there moments like that for you?
0: Well, he was with me through all that stuff. And I know that now because he turned turned setbacks into setups for greatness for me, Mm. simply because I was in control and I was driving the car. Once again, crashed and burned. I made those mistakes. You know, you can blame situations, conditions, you can, your rationale can have a hundred reasons why things happen, but at the end of the day, it's about choices, and I'm not real good, or I wasn't real good at making good choices because of the environment and everything that was going on. And so once I decided to quit driving the car myself, and surrender. He took those mistakes I made. I learned from him. He taught me how to get up with this monster hit that I just took and be honest and truthful and move forward. So all those things in the past that happened to me, you know, I, I tell sky, I'm like the old scarred up seal, you know, that has been in 20 million battles and I've got scars all over me and I feel you know, that I'm not a poser because, you know, knowing of Jesus and knowing him are two different things. That's true. You know, and so at this point, knowing him and being one with him, I think all these scars, and all these things I've been through, I'm not that I'm leading by example, but I've been made an example of for people that think I'm not correct, or I don't have my act cleaned up, or I can't do this. I think all those people that have all the excuses for being in the wrong place at the wrong time or not being good enough, you don't need to be cleaned up. Come to him, he'll clean you up. So that's kind of like when you talk about those valleys and those low points, they happen for a reason to make me who I am today. So I don't regret any of it, even though if I had a choice to do it over again, I wouldn't, you know? But all those things that happen, I think, They're the reason I'm sitting here today with you.
1: Absolutely, and you know, I I I find in my own life you learn more from your failures than your successes, and more from your mistakes. And God uses people throughout the Bible. King David, people Mm -hmm. who are flawed, who made mistakes. God, Peter. I mean, God uses Mm -hmm. them. So it's just incredible how God works. How did your family feel, your mom and your dad, when you got into the wrestling business? A crazy business on the road constantly (laughs) where they say, Terry, what are you doing?
0: Well, they had a real hard time with the music stuff, you know, because that was supposed to be a hobby. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, back in the day when you're playing in these rock and roll clubs and you're still in high school, you know, and you're playing from nine at night till two in the morning and you're supposed to be at homeroom at 8 a.m., you're really going against the grain. And it's even hard to explain, like back in 69, 70, 71 to be in high school and have two brand new cars in high school. And when you're making $350, $400 a week, that's like making 10 or 15 grand nowadays. You know, I was playing in these clubs at night because of the music. And that was not good. You know, it, it really didn't work out that well. So when I turned 17 years old, my dad asked me to leave, you know. And so I lived in a hotel and played music and got through high school and stuff like that. And it it created a lot of of problems. And then when I started going to the University of South Florida, I kind of like, it was kind of like a saving grace that I was gonna go to college. And my dad was kind of proud of me that I made it through this little transition. Even though I had a a major in finance and management, I had a minor in music. I never graduated because I kept leaving school to play in these different bands and yeah. make money and go on the road and stuff. And so then that made the relationship really bad. But to answer your question, once I got to the music and I got into wrestling, that was the worst thing I could ever do. And now you're going to be a wrestler and you have thrown your life away. And there were about five or six years where there wasn't much communication with my dad, but my mom and I would talk every day. And then finally when I made it and became the world's heavyweight champion, and on the adult madison square garden my parents were there that night and my dad pulled me aside and he didn't apologize but he said you know you did make the right decision you know with your (laughs) life so it was really cool to finally win him over yeah because i just didn't know in his eyes if it would ever be okay but then he got real good at it and then he was very proud to be hulk hogan's father and of course yeah i'd bring him to i brought him to the spectrum a couple times and to different places so it was, it's it was a test of faith. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but it's so
1: cool that he got it he got to see it all come to fruition.
0: Right. And right. he said you made the right choice.
1: Yeah, he did. Man, that's incredible. Hey, you went on, you know, conquering the wrestling game, we could say, but you know, making that move into Hollywood, into acting. And that's another kind of dog eat dog world. You know, the wrestling game is a dog eat dog world kind of cutthroat at times for sure. How was that transition into that whole new kind of arena, film and TV? New challenges.
0: Well, it was a logical extension of where I should go with my career, yeah. because once the wrestling took off and the character Hulk Hogan became as big as the wrestling business at the time, um, people were reaching out to me, you know, to do other projects, commercials, Super Bowl commercials, right guard commercials, all kind of stuff, and. The movies were a logical extension. So, um, Vince McMahon and I sat down and basically spent three days over on Madeira Beach writing No Holds Barred. And then we brought a writer in to clean it up and he pretty much got all the credit for it because we didn't know anything about writing or the Screen Actors Guild or the Writers Guild. We didn't know anything. We hired a writer to clean it up. We didn't know he was gonna own it, which it, it didn't matter. But once I made that film and it was successful, Um, New Line Cinema wanted me to make more films and the problem I had with it was I loved wrestling so much and I was in the prime of my career. It wasn't like I was on the the downside and I was picking up extra work or trying to get out of the wrestling business and become an actor. I was was the world's heavyweight champion. Mm -hmm. Hulkamani was running wild and I was in front of 20, 30,000 people every night. Now you want me to go sit in a Winnebago? on the side of the Sony soundstage for 14 hours, and you might call me at five o'clock to get in front of the camera for five minutes. The process killed me. I mean, you know, and, and you know, there's an art form to that. And the really good actors, you know, understand timing and exactly when to ramp up and, you know, everything from the lighting to the camera placement, to the cadence, to everything they understand it once they get in front of the camera. But for me, um, I was ready to jump off a cliff waiting for 10 or 12 hours for them to use me, or they may use me first thing in the morning, you know, we get in a makeup trailer at five thirty in the morning at eight o'clock. I may do my first shot and then, okay, well, hang around. We're not sure if we're going to need you for the rest of the day. So after lunch was over, no, you need to hang out. So I would sit there for 12 hours and they would only use me for four or five minutes in the morning. So the process was hard. And so I always wanted to go back to wrestling and I did. But I kept bouncing back and forth, making small, low-budget movies for kids and having fun with that, you know, and shooting them in 25 to 30 days and running right back to the Mm -hmm. wrestling business, you know? And I had the chance to become like the next John Wayne, there was a guy named Bob Evans that ran ran Paramount. And he took me to his office and there was a big picture on the wall with Clint Eastwood and John Wayne and all the big stars, Dustin Hoffman, and everybody that was Mm -hmm. part of the contract players for Paramount at the time. <clears throat> he said, you're going to be my next John Wayne. Wow. And then he kind of like laid out the schedule and what was expected of me um, on and off camera. I went, eh, I'm the wrong guy for that stuff. So wow. I just uh, decided to go back to wrestling. And, yeah.
1: Many people would have jumped at that for sure. Yeah, yeah. But God's hand was on your life throughout, no doubt. Hey, quick, I want to ask you, we, we can't close without asking you about what's next, what you're doing now, people want to know, but I want to ask you real first, a guilty, guilty pleasure, as a longtime wrestling fan, uh, some stories, real specific, you mentioned Andre the Giant. Mm-hmm. Now, many of our viewers might say, oh, that's the guy from The Princess Bride, the famous movie, mm-hmm. but Andre the Giant, you were close, you slammed him at WrestleMania three at the Pontiac yeah. Silverdome, largest audience ever to watch a wrestling match. You probably have a million, but any <laughs> funny Andre the Giant stories, or any cool Andre the Giant stories?
0: Hmm. Andre used to like to pass gas a lot. <laughs> and he thought it was funny. And you know, his one of his favorite places would be an um, elevator full of people. <laughs> and, and by the way,
1: this guy was 7 foot yeah, 4, yeah. And, over and, 400 and pounds. And he
0: thought it was very hilarious to have something just rumble, like <laughs> sounded like a hurricane coming at you and everybody just panicked in the elevator. He thought that was hilarious. So that was one of his favorite things to do is you get a bunch of people in a packed elevator and do something like that. Ever in the ring? Oh yeah, (laughs) oh yeah, yeah. And um, so that was one of his favorite things as far as joking with people. Wow,
1: would you say Andre kind of passed the torch to you in the business in a sense? He was obviously a megastar.
0: He um, basically taught me this business. He straightened me out because when I got in the business, I was in my 20s and wasn't serious, wasn't focused, you know, and just didn't have, didn't understand what this business was really all about. That this was, wrestling was the smallest part of this business. You know, the image, the promotion, the merchandise, the ancillary stuff, the licensing, how big this business could be. And Andre was really the first sports entertainer. If he'd have been a serious wrestler, nobody would have ever beat him and he'd have been the world's champion until the day he passed away. So, you know, Andre took me under his wing and kind of like made me grow up really fast. So like the first eight years when I had to be around him at wrestling, if I was coming up the Philadelphia Spectrum, when I'd see the building, I knew I had to wrestle Andre. I'd pull the car over, open the door and get sick because <laughs> I was afraid of him because you know, he, I knew it was physically going to be something that wasn't going to be fun that night, yeah. you know? And so finally, he took me under his wing. He got me correct where I respected and understood this business. Wow. And then when it came time for uh, WrestleMania three, I would always know who would win or lose. And that night we had no idea. And I asked Vince "Man, what's the finish of this match? He goes, well, I talked to Andre and he says, don't worry. I'm like, oh boy, I'm worried. <laughs> and so. I went through that all day with him, you know, and hung out with him in the back and would ask him, hey, you know, should we do this or that? And he other, oh, don't worry. And what he had taught me over the years was don't talk about the wrestling match. You just need to know who's going to win or lose. This is an art form like dancing or playing guitar. You got to listen to the crowd and listen with your heart. Yeah. Because a lot of wrestlers will sit down and they'll talk for 20 minutes about having a three minute match on TV. And what happens if the stuff you talk about doesn't work? Yeah. And the people don't get into it. You're gonna keep doing the same thing you talked about that's wrong. Okay. So Andre taught taught me how to have instinct and listen with my heart and my ear to the crowd, what they wanted. So when I started asking him at WrestleMania 3, what do you want to do? I, I kind of feel now I kind of insulted him because I never had asked him before. Wow. But this time I didn't know who was gonna win. So I was like, yeah. what's going on here? You know, right. what am I getting set up for? And at the end of the day, he passed the torch. When I slammed him and dropped the leg on him, I thought for sure he'd kick out, and he didn't. You still didn't know. No, and that he didn't. That is crazy. And believe me, I was a nervous wreck. And,
1: and you really, I mean, you got him up. It wasn't yeah. kind of a half slam, he, yeah. was, he was up. Yeah, I
0: got him. He and was he, up. He was closer to 700 pounds in because he was really, really unhealthy at the time. Because he went from like, they said 500 pounds, John, he was never 500. He was between 550 and 650 but he just went through a crazy back surgery where they had to make tables, they had to make instruments to work on him. And he was in a lot of pain, he gained a lot of weight. Yeah. So when he passed the torch um, that night, he basically made my career and made the wrestling business. And he wow. just handed it all to me to protect it and take care of it.
1: I never knew that, that even when you dropped a big leg, you thought, I is, I thought he, he, was is gonna he gonna kick, kick out. out?
0: If you look at it again, I really didn't wow. even try to cover him. I just halfway laid on him. Wow. Just a lazy cover, because I thought he'd just kick right out.
1: What did he say afterwards? Did he say anything? Did, did he recognize the, the gravity of the moment?
0: Yeah, once I rolled off, I went, thank you, boss, and he goes, you're the boss. And so he kind of, wow. like, said that to me. And, wow. you know, I've only, the only person I told that to was Vince, you know, because it was such a, a special thing. Yeah. You know, I said, thanks, boss, he goes, you're the boss. And I went, oh, wow, that's kind of wow. scary. So it's, but it's official <laughs> yeah. at that moment. yeah.
1: I know Andre was one of your favorite opponents. Anyone you liked, you had so many runs with with different guys over the years, feuds and all the rest. Anyone in particular that you enjoyed working with, I love Ric Flair, who's still kicking, I mean, in his 70s. Um, You had some some moments with him. But anyone in particular that, in addition to Andre, that you just say, you look back and say, man, we just, it was fire. I loved
0: working with him. Oh, the, the main guy that was a constant and was always there and was 24-7 in character and really I drew a lot of money with was Randy Savage. I mean, he called me up at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Hey, brother, you was thinking about that finish from Philadelphia. I <laughs> didn't like it the way you picked the up in the corner before your body. Oh, God, Randy, here we go. But he was like intense, 24-7, and I loved working with him. He yeah. was a little snug in the ring, a little stiff. Yeah. You know, he could hurt you, but that's okay. Florida guy, too, right? Uh, uh,
1: uh, I think he was from Florida, From right? Downers
0: Grove, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Illinois, sorry, Arizona. okay. And a minor league minor baseball league baseball, baseball right. catcher for the Cincinnati Reds farm team, triple-A wow. ball. And uh, he was a heck of an athlete. Yeah. yeah. Fast, man. He Off the top rope, dropping the elbow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, he had some hops, he'd get up. Yeah, and, and now that I listen to his interviews, well, I thought he was out in space. The more I listen to his interviews, the more money I see in those interviews now. Oh. He was man. on on the mic, you guys on the mic,
1: yeah. amazing. You've been so gracious with your time. It's been a thrill, a treat getting to know Sky, hearing your testimony. Mm-hmm. Uh, just so people know at home, what are you doing right now? You're very active here in a Clearwater, Tampa area. You've got a lot going on. As we said earlier, I mean, your life, as hard as it is to say it with, with Hulk Hogan, your life's just beginning. And by the way, you're introduced yeah as the immortal Hulk Hogan, (laughs) and now you truly are immortal because you will live in eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's actually a true statement when people call you the immortal Hulk Hogan. Eternal life is on the way, but not yet. You've got a lot to do still here
0: on earth. Well, the funny thing is across my back, I've got a huge tattoo from shoulder to shoulder that says immortal on it. And it's not the immortal Hulk Hogan. It's because of what you just said. You know, I got to a point in my life before I met Sky, before I had the baptism, where I'd had enough. I was sick and tired of myself. You know what I mean? Just the two people in here, my real self and the ego. I was sick and tired of myself. And I decided to, to turn back to my faith. And one of the things I did was I put that crazy tattoo on my back immoral, I meaning, you know, I accepted Christ as my Savior and he died for my sins and I'll live forever. So I put that on my back and so many people think, oh, it's the mortal Hulk Hogan, the ego trip. But no, it was for that reason that I did that. And um, I probably should add something to it, like John 3:16 over to the side <laughs> or something to clear things up. But no, moving forward, um, it's been just an incredible journey with the people that are around me. Like we spoke earlier, God takes people away from you that don't belong in your life and brings people to you. He also changes people. Um, you know, I've got a great pastor, Pastor Aaron, that once Sky and I were looking around for a new school for Hayden, our middle son, I um, met Pastor Aaron that first day. And I teased him all the time. I said, you've gone from a preliminary, preliminary pastor to you're the main event guy now, brother, because he's so dynamic. And he, he's what I love about it. He doesn't put his opinion into the sermons. He reads from scripture and then he interprets it for you you know correctly without an opinion you know and so he's he tells he's a great storyteller he's very dynamic so you know I've got I've got him you know along with Sky and um, Ron Howard who handsome Ron used to be almost famous Ron Ron Howard the new Ron Howard um, basically got dialed into his faith quit drinking alcohol a few years ago was a huge influence on my life because he he walked in my gym one time and I had a stack. I don't know if you know what White Claws are. Yeah. I had a stack of them up in my gym, you know, probably 10 or 12 cases. And he walked in, he goes, who do you serve? I said, what do you mean? He goes, you serve the Lord do you serve that? I went, okay. You don't have to tell me twice. I got it. You know, so he, he was a huge influence on me, kind of like when I saw him get correct, I went, that's impossible you know, there's no way, you know, almost famous Ron Howard is going to get correct, but he did, you know, and he straightened out his marriage, his life and just everything, you know, so to watch him get correct was something else. It was an extra push for me, you know, yeah. to regroup and get on track. So between having sky in my life, having the right partner, that's a believer and just really solid, just, I mean, you know, not only her spirituality but the way she believes but also keeping me in check because you know this is there's there's still an old wrestler in here that can be you know a little grumpy and a little aggressive you know
1: as you described it that
0: turbulence yeah yeah and she's she's really found a way to like keep me in track so between her and the pastor and you know ron being around uh, my son nick lives here you know and he's so close he's so close you know he's been coming to the church with us off and on. He works late at night sometimes. He's uh, so close, you know, to, to being completely on track. Um, that's very exciting for me. And my daughter, Brooke, lives up in Nashville and between Nashville and Orlando, she's got a big design business and she's doing her wow. thing with, she got married. So everybody's come together, you know, and the time for me is just so amazing because what's, Going to be important to me moving forward is being the vessel to s- spread this message because it's the only truth there is Everything else is just temporary. You know everything the fame the money the ego the, the physical look everything is just temporary and w- once You get that and you realize that it's so important that you make other people understand that that's the only truth there is so Moving forward that's the first foremost thought of my mind. Yeah is to being a messenger for my Lord and Savior. Um, That's going to take me where I need to go. I really can't tell you where that's going to be, but I'll be there. It's going to be good. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. (laughs) It's going to be a lot more important than slamming the stinky giant. (laughs) It's already going great.
1: And Hulk, as we close, uh, as we've been discussing throughout this time together, your profession of faith being baptized so Mm -hmm. publicly with sky in the eyes of the world, it went viral. That's all great but you just broke it down. This is what you believe the most important mission in your life and you being baptized, encouraged and inspired people around the world, no doubt. If you don't mind, we would love if the immortal Hulk Hogan could pray for us right now. And look, you've got that John 316 shirt on, you wear it proudly. Could you invite someone watching right now might've been flipping through and saying, oh, TBN, Christian TV, wait a minute, that's Hulk Hogan. What's he doing there? there?"
0: Could you right now maybe share your heart, maybe pray for us? Oh, uh, I'd love to. That'd be great. In Jesus' name, I pray for all the viewers out there who are Hulkamaniacs and who don't know me. I hope this talk today brings everyone closer to our Lord and Savior and brings everyone home. That is the truth, that is the light, that is the only way to our Heavenly Father. Thank you, God, for this beautiful, beautiful day, for this beautiful talk. And I pray that everyone walks in the light and becomes saved by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, all is well, even now, amen.
1: Hulk, thank you so much. 38 years ago, sitting in the Philadelphia spectrum, watching you wrestle King Kong Bundy, never did I think I'd be sitting side by side with you and praying with you. God has a sense of humor, I think, for sure. And my dad's in heaven smiling right now, I can tell you that much. Hulk, thanks so much. We should do this again. Uh, we want to stay in touch with you. Follow this great new chapter in your life. Please keep mm-hmm. us posted. We want to walk with you through this. It was awesome. Hulk. God bless you. We appreciate it. We will see you again here soon. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. Yes, sir. So much it. love.